I learned a long time ago, don't get in a woman's way, amen? <laughs> I had a red-headed Irish, half-Irish, well, mother. And she had the temper to go with that red hair. And she could blow up in a second. Her and daddy married, she weighed about 105 pounds. Daddy weighed about 230 or 40. I mean, just a man, you know. From here to here was uh, 12 inches his hand. He looked like a ham. And uh, she got mad at him, upset with him. They hadn't been married for about three or four weeks. And she got upset about something. She attacked him. And he just got her by the hands and got the put her and set her down on, on the floor and laid her down there and got one of her straight chairs and wasn't hurting her and just set, in, set it on top of her where she couldn't get up <laughs> and just sat there and said, Now, Allie, when you get through having your fit, I'll let you up. I asked Mama, I said, what'd you do? She said, I quit having my fit so he'd let me up. <laughs> but she was a wonderful, wonderful woman. Uh, I want you to think about this tonight as I talk about uh, meeting the Lord and Him saving me. And I'm going to weave the gospel right on in everything. But take your Bible and turn to the fifth chapter of the book of Romans and we'll read a few verses of Scripture here. For right in this... Uh, passage of scripture is, uh, is where the, is where the, uh, uh, that uh, verse, uh, Romans 5.80. You can just stay seated if you want to. The Bible says, for when we, on verse 6 of chapter 5 of Romans, for when we were yet without strength in due time, watch what it says, Christ died for the ungodly. Isn't that something? For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commends his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being uh, now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when ye were enemies, or when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, and much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now you ought to draw something around that. If there was no resurrection, you couldn't be saved. On the cross of Calvary, he died and paid the price for our sin. The only one that was qualified to do that. And he died in our place and paid the price for our sins. His blood paid that price. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And then he went down to the grave and cleaned it up and made it a place, a pleasant place to wait for the resurrection. And on scheduled time, he got up with every form of power known unto man. And he is the only one that can save you. That's the resurrected Savior. See what he says here? We shall be saved by his life. Now that's a, that's a theological understanding that a lot of folks don't understand. The cross is not a place of salvation. It's a place of death. When Paul said, when Paul said, I glory in the cross, he was glorying in the fact that he 
died daily with Christ. So it says, and not only so, but we also join God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Romans 5, 8, but God commends his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Father, bless this time. Give me the right words to say. Encourage some folks tonight. Bring great conviction on those that are not saved. I pray, Lord, for those that are not walking with God, they'll have great conviction, too, to get right. And for those that are walking with God, I pray they might continue on in his grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You need to understand that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. I was raised in the country. I was born in 1938. My daddy built a home, a house, like the pioneers built it. Rived his own shingles out uh, with a throw and and, uh, everything. He he just did all that. The rafters were were, uh, trees and uh, cut to fix that. The uh, seals were trees. Uh, the blocks that was under there was a cypress block. It was, uh, I, I watched him build that house. And it was amazing to me what he did. Daddy was a farmer. But Daddy could do just about anything he wanted to. He wasn't a finished man. He, I mean, he might nail it an uh, inch away from it, but he had nailed it up. Amen. But he was a farmer. And he bought that 40 acres for $10 an acre uh, in 19, uh, about 1940. Uh, uh, and so I was about two years old or so whenever he built that house. I grew up in a very poor situation, but I didn't know I was poor. I thought everybody else lived like that too. You know, I wasn't, we didn't go out here and steal stuff to get something. We worked for it. I went to school and I'd never seen a light, a, 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 a slice of light bread, never. And uh, Mama made them biscuits, and she'd make some rolls sometimes, but I had never seen light bread. And the first uh, day or two at the school, these kids had these light bread. It looked so good. I thought, man, I'd kind of like to have some of that. One fellow walked up to me, and I had a biscuit with a, a sausage in it. And uh, he said, I'll swap this uh, sandwich here for yours if you'd like to. I said, yeah, never did that again. I got the worst end of the deal, amen. <laughs> now, you listen to what I'm saying. So I grew up, a, but I grew up in a home that my daddy, even though he was lost, mama was saved, even though he was lost, I never went to the table that him or somebody else didn't ask God to bless the food, never. And so that gave me a God consciousness. When I was seven years old, I got under conviction in the little country church that uh, they're having all day preaching and the kids were all getting kind of tired and they're taking most of them out. But I sat in my mama and a man preached on hell and scared me nearly to death. I sat there crying because I, I did, I, it just scared me. I never got away from that message until I got saved 20 years later. But then I grew up and I you know, began to work and I didn't uh, finish school or high school. I went through the 11th grade, quit, and went to work for, with my daddy. My daddy quit when he was in the 8th grade. He quit after the 8th grade because his daddy came in and said, Son, said if you don't quit school and help me with this farm, we'll never be able to give these children the rest of them an education. 
All of them became high school graduates, and, and Daddy sacrificed all that for them. And, in, and, and because of that, my Daddy was the man of the home of that household. And when my grandfather died, you know, they just looked to him for everything. So anyway, I grew up in a loving family, a family that loved me. I was the only grandchild for four and a half years, and then my brother, he was born and messed everything up, you know. <laughs> but anyhow, I'm, so I know what it is to be loved. I've never not been loved. And so anyway, I went to work with my dad at 17 years old on the drag lines. He was a drag line operator, and I was a, a ground man, which was a laborer. And it wasn't long that I got up to be an oiler, which was a, a higher pen. It was next to, the, uh, next to the operator. And the oilers were men that were trained to be operators. And uh, they were going to train me to be an operator. But anyway, I went to South Louisiana. And I was 18 years old when I went to South Louisiana. I went there. I was on a barge. We went down there to, uh, I had, had, that machine was so big that you couldn't put it on the railroad or anything. You had to take it apart if you did. And we put it on the barge and brought it in there and brought it up there and that, out in them woods out there, cutting that intercoastal canal. And we cut that canal back in them swamps out there. Well, I'm down there, and of course, it's a, South Louisiana's totally different from North Louisiana. It was when I went there. North Louisiana was a, you didn't, they didn't sell liquor on Sunday. And they had a semblance of, you know, some, some uh, uh, godliness, but down South Louisiana, the bars never shut down. They didn't even have locks on the door. And I mean, it was wide open, music and dancing and gambling and everything else. Well, you can imagine an 18-year-old boy coming down there, and he's lost, and so I got to doing things I shouldn't have done. And then one of the... Uh, Fellas I worked with was my friend, which was from the same uh, place up in North Louisiana. And he was uh, dating a girl named uh, Tilda Granger. And they finally married. And Tilda, she said, uh, Ron, one day, Ron said, Would you like a date with my cousin? Said, I got a cousin coming to see me. And said, uh, uh, She's 16 years old. Said, Would you like a date with her? I said, Is she pretty? Said, Yeah. I said, Sure, I'd like a date with her. You know. I wanted to date all the pretty girls, amen. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, I walked in this cafe down there that where we were supposed to meet. I worked that day, and I went home and went to my room at least, and, and uh, cleaned up and came in there. And there was a young man there sitting by, uh, Pete Knapp, good-looking young man, and a nice young man, although me and him had a fight, and uh, I'd won. <laughs> and... Uh, Anyway, he was sitting by my date, and I walked up to him, and I said, Pete, get up and get out of here. That's my date. And my wife said, uh, she went into shock, said, you just walked in and took over. Sat down by her, and we started talking. And it was just like we knew each other, bonded. And we talked and everything, and, and uh, she had, was engaged to a fellow on the boat, but she had already decided she wasn't going to marry him and take a ring off and everything, and, and she didn't feel like that that's what she should do. Well, she's a Catholic girl. And if you know anything about the South Louisiana Catholics and the real Catholics, uh, they, they, you couldn't even go to a Baptist church. Uh, they couldn't. It was uh, against their rules and everything. And so anyhow, 
Um, I fell in love with her. And uh, 15 days after I met her, I married her. I married her on the first, I mean, I married her on the 15th day of April, met her on the first day of April. You say, well, Brother Osteen, that, uh, uh, that's, uh, things like that don't happen. They did with us. And she was so young that the judge had to sign for her to get married. And so her daddy had to, we had to go down to the judge, and he signed and all that. And, of course, they're talking French. Her daddy and mama couldn't speak English. And so I never had a, I never had an in-law problem at all. And, uh, but they were wonderful people, and my wife was a wonderful lady. But she had, at 15 years old, come to visit her sister in Little Rock, Arkansas. And Betty was a, a couple, three years older than her. She was married. And so she'd come up there to visit her, Jean did. And a little Baptist church close by came by. Somebody came by and invited them to church to a revival. And Betty said, uh, I'm, I'm a, I want to go. And Jean told her, said, well, you know, Mama would be upset with me if I go. And uh, she said, well, Mama's down there. And said, we're up here, so let's go to church. So they went to church. She had never heard the gospel. She had never heard preaching. She had never read a Bible. And the fellow preached, and she said something spoke to her, and she went down to the, the front when they gave the invitation, and the preacher said, what do you want? Now, you have to understand, this is a Catholic girl. She knows nothing about the Word of God. She knows nothing about anything uh, that, uh, that, uh, that we know. And the preacher said, okay, and said, I'll baptize you uh, this week. And he baptized her, and she didn't get saved. But she was hunted in God. When I married her, she started going from Baptist church to Baptist church to Baptist church. And there's a church in a Baptist church in, in Baton Rouge that, that she went to, Central Baptist Church, that's a real strong independent Baptist church. And she went there, and uh, for about uh, four or five months while I was working down there, everybody thought she was saved. I mean, she just was so, so a good a woman, and uh, she was uh, kind and nice and everything, but she was lost. Then we moved back to North Louisiana, and I'm working building houses and, and uh, carpeting and renovating stuff, and come in one day, and I said, honey, I said, uh, she was about 22 years, she was 22 years old. I said, let's go down and visit your people at Plaquemines, Louisiana. Her mother and daddy lived down there, and three of her brothers lived there, and one sister. And so we went down there, and they had been at church that night. They was having a revival meeting at uh, the Southside Baptist Church. Brother Bill Adam was the pastor, and the evangelist was a man uh, that uh, was a great Southern Baptist uh, evangelist. And that man, he preached the Word of God. I mean, even me, without knowing God, could tell that he was a preacher. Well, the wife got under conviction about the middle of the sermon, and she started whimpering, crying. And she got her handkerchief out and put it in her mouth to keep from crying out loud. And when I gave her invitation, she pushed me out the seat and pushed me aside and ran down the aisle, fell on the altar, and got saved. Now, it upset me. I'm thinking this woman's made a spectacle of herself, and somebody's going to say something to me and talk to me about going down there, and I'm not going. I might just slap them and leave, you know. But I was upset. But the preacher told them, she asked, the first thing she asked was, 
what can I do to get my husband saved? And the preacher said, to be able to get that man saved, said you have to love him to heaven. And she set out to do that. She was always just as loving before, but she just changed and even more. And she began to get separated and reading the Bible, and she began to live better than a, some Southern Baptist preacher's wife was living because she's reading that book and finding out she was supposed to be different. Then uh, we moved to South Louisiana. But this time, I'm about 24 years old, and uh, we go down to South Louisiana. I've done all the work, all kinds of work at that time. And uh, we moved uh, to Plaquemines, Louisiana. I mean, uh, to not Plaquemines, Louisiana, but to move to uh, Picayune, Mississippi, about 15, 20 miles from, Plaqu uh, from Slide Hill. The fellow I was working for, he didn't have but about four or five houses built, and he didn't get any more. And so me and a fellow was talking, he said, let's go down to Slide Hill. They got a lot of work there. Let's go see if we can't get us a job. So we went down there, and Don Coleman was building some houses there, and he was a big contractor. He did it all by assembly. He built two houses every week. He had a foundation crew, a, a frame crew. He had an outside uh, uh, a trim crew. Uh, he had painters. He had everything. Had cabinet maker down there making the cabinets. And we got walked up on the job, and this foreman there was, his daddy was the one that was a cabinet maker. And he said, what can you fellas do? My friend said, I am a, uh, I'm a framer. And they was framing the house across the street. He looked over, I hollered up there, and he, he hollered at the foreman over there, said, uh, put this guy to work. He said, you go on over here, put you to work. He said, what can you do? I said, you just run everybody else in their stall, and I'll take what's left over. I can do any of it. Anything you want done in carpenter work. He said, can you build cabinets? I said, yes, sir, can. And uh, so he took me down there to Brother Humphreys, his daddy, who was one of the best cabinet, well, the best cabinet maker I've ever been around. And he uh, told him, said, Pop, this, this young man says he's a cabinet maker. I said, do you need him? He said, yes, I need him. If he's a cabinet maker, I need him. Because he's not by himself, and they hadn't got anybody to help him. So he put me to work. Paul came back there at noon and uh, said, how's this fellow turn, turning out, to Pop? He said, he's a mechanic. I, I want him here. I want him here. So I went to work to Brother Humphrey was a Christian. God just moving, moving things around and everything. And we came, became friends, and he came to our house and on Sunday, I'd invite him to the house. My wife said, invite him. And I told him about it. And he was down there by himself. His wife was in North Louisiana. He was to go back home about every two weeks, spend the weekend. Well, he came and went to church on Sunday and went to church with my wife and my children. I didn't go. I, my church wasn't my thing. Well, then my wife got sick. And I was going to operate on her. And I went to work, and her pastor, Brother John Aldridge, uh, she had now joined that church. And, and uh, I went to 
the hospital that morning because she'd gone in that night before, and I asked her, to, did she want me to stay for operation? She said, no, it's not going to be. It's going to be a simple thing. It's going to put me to sleep and do what something. And uh, so uh, I said, okay. So I went on to work. Ten o'clock, John Aldridge pulled up. Now, a preacher don't pull up on the job at ten o'clock in the morning unless something's wrong. I like to die of a heart attack. And whenever he got out of the car, he said, Brother Osteen, said, don't worry, don't worry. He said, your wife's all right. They've never touched her, but you need to go to the hospital. So I went to the hospital. They found out she had a heart murmur. And the heart doctor uh, who had examined her, he said, she has a high percentage of change of maybe not coming out from under that anesthesia. And said, we're going to do it by medicine. They did. Well, I'm shook. By this time, I'm about 26, right right at 27 years old. Well, I was 27. And uh, I'm shook. I got three children, and now it looks like my wife is fixing to have bad health problems. And so I promised God that if he would get her out of that hospital, I'd go to church. Well, he got her out, and I went that Sunday after she got out. I didn't go anymore because I just said I'd go to church, so I went. And so uh, she's praying. And she had a lady, some ladies in that church praying for me. And they would uh, come to the altar once a week. And an old-fashioned altars, wooden altars, in a, it was in a Methodist building that they were starting a church in. And the pastor, Brother Aldridge, said that he's seen the times, time after time, that those uh, five women, those four women and my wife, would weep over my soul and the tears would puddle up on that altar and drip on the floor. God will hear that kind of prayer. Well, I didn't, still didn't want to want it, you know, and everything. And, uh, and then on the Saturday before I got saved, God uncapped hell and hung me over it and scared me to death. And I got so frightened and upset I wasn't got drunk. I couldn't stand what I saw. I was trying to get away. You see, when people take drugs and, and alcohol and things like that, uh, they, they have something that they're trying to hide and something they're trying to get away from, and they don't like their life. And, boy, I tell you, whenever I sobered up at the house, she was, uh, I was sitting there, and I, I, I don't know where I, I think I passed out, and she got a wet cloth and washed my face and, said, things are going to be all right. And I said, no, it's not. So she went to church the next day, which was Sunday. And I sobered up and went to church, went to uh, work Monday. Well, when, uh, when she came back, when I came back home Monday, I was in the bathroom getting, a, getting ready to get in the shower, and she poked her head in the door and said, honey, can I have the car tonight? And I said, well, I reckon so. What do you want it for? She said, I want to go to church. I'm thinking in my mind, this woman goes to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and visitation, and now she wants to go on Monday. I said, she's getting, she's going slap dab crazy. And she started back out, and I said, uh, Cajun baby, I always called her my Cajun baby. I said, Cajun baby, would you uh, give me a pair of... Uh, 
dress pants I have and that dress shirt and dress shoes. She says, where are you going? I said, I'm going with you. I went to church that night and I've never quit. I didn't get saved till Saturday. A fellow named Thomas Stone was preaching and uh, I mean he's a preaching machine, man. And I didn't understand what was happening. You see, you can hear with your physical ears the gospel and never understand the gospel. And I didn't understand what was happening. And so I had the Friday night, I had a, uh, I had a, I had an appointment with a fellow to go and look at some land that I was trying to buy. Well, I went, and I didn't get to go to church, and the, uh, he had already sold it what I wanted. So I came back home, and the wife came in a little later, and I said, honey, them, them men need to come to see me. And she, uh, she said, uh, they're coming tomorrow at 2 o'clock. That was Saturday, 26th day of June. Tommy Stone and John Aldridge came to the house, and our wife went in the back end, back there of the trailer, and, and boys, and we're taking boys, and my daughter, the oldest two boys, Steve and Lee and Sandra, our oldest daughter, and she, uh, and so they sat me down, and Tommy Stone gave me a little Bible, and he said, uh, uh, he always called everybody brother. He said, Brother Osteen said, uh, you know you're lost and going to hell. And I said, I know I'm lost and going to hell. Brother Stone, what I want to know is how to be saved. So he starts down the Romans road. He got to this page here, uh, Romans 5, 8. But God commends his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, you've got to come to the point to where you understand you're lost. And you've got to come to the point that you understand that Jesus loved you and died for you on the cross of Calvary and that he is God incarnate and that he's resurrected. And whenever he read that scripture, it clicked. And I sat there in my seat and I said, Lord, in my heart, I said, Lord, I didn't know you loved me that much and got saved. I believed on him and trusted him and got saved. Without praying a prayer, Without saying anything, I just did it in my heart because it always has to be a heart thing. Amen? And so they were going on down the Romans Road, and I lost them. I was in another world, man. And he said, uh, finally, Brother Stone said, would you like to pray? And I just said, yeah. I just fell on my knees and started praying. You see, I'd read the Bible through twice before I was saved. And I read the uh, New Testament's through about 25 times and the book of Revelation probably 100 times. So I had this scripture inside of me and I'm quoting scripture and I'd learn the scripture and everything else as I'm praying. And my wife heard me and come down through that trailer shouting. And we met in that living room and had camp meeting time, honey. And I've never gotten over it. Well, when she was saved about five, six weeks. She was in a church, and that church uh, was preaching about serving the Lord and things disorder and missionaries. And she started forward to uh, surrender herself to be a preacher's wife and a missionary, and I wasn't even saved. And she started down the aisle, and she said she got about three steps down the aisle, and it, it dawned on her that my husband is lost how can I be a missionary or a preacher's wife? 
And she turned around brokenhearted and said, Lord, uh, I want to be a preacher's wife, and I want to be uh, a, a, a missionary. And said, I'm a, I, I, I surrender to you, whatever you want. And said, God assured her that he was going to save me and call me to the ministry. This woman had contact with God. And she never told anybody about that. She told Brother Aldridge about it. It didn't tell me. It didn't tell me at all. But she told Brother Aldridge about it and told him to not do anything except pray. So I got saved, and she had told me that I need to tithe. And I said, uh, I'm not going to tithe. I'm not giving my money to that preacher. All he does is preach on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. I said, let him go to work. Right. <laughs> and... Uh, Little did I know. <laughs> and anyway, she tithed off of her, her household money. And so when I got off my knees, I reached in my pocket and got my pocketbook and the money that I had, I had made the, the, that week. And I told Brother Aldridge, I said, hold out your hand. I started counting money in it. And he said, uh, what are you doing? I said, I'm tithing. Christians both tithe, aren't they? He said, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I gave $100 to uh, a fund that was raised in the library church. So I've never had any problems with this giving business. You know, I, I just didn't. God got all of me. And I want you to think about this. My wife was so, such a gracious lady and loved me so much. I came in one night. There was a, I'd gone frog hunting and, and coon hunting down at the Chaffalite Basin. And we'd catch a couple of sacks of frogs, or a toe sack full of frogs, and we'd sell them. It'd be, be $2 a frog, a dollar a frog leg. I'm, talk, I'm not talking about them little frogs. I'm talking about something about this size. And them, those legs was that big, man. They were they're down there, monsters down in the swamp. And uh, we'd kill them coons, and we'd get 2 to $2 and a half for them. And we'd go down to the a certain section of town, and they'd stand in line to get them. Well, anyhow, we'd make sometimes on on Friday night, me and my buddy, we had two of them went Wednesday night night, but me and my buddy sometimes would make uh, 70 to $90 a night, and that was back in 1960, about 64, 63, and all that in 65, because I got saved in 65. Well, I came in that night in the morning. It was 2.30 in the morning. We was wore out. We worked all day and, and eating a light supper and went there and hunted all night out in them swamps. And, you know, and, uh, and, and we was just wore out and hungry. And I said, fellas, come on in. I said, I'll get the wife up and she'll make us breakfast. Well, we went in. I went in the room and I said, uh, I woke her up. And she, well, she was wake, waked up. She heard me come in. And I said, uh, Cajun baby, would you uh, get up and fix us some eggs and biscuits and, and uh, uh, sausage or something and some good gravy? I said, we'll, we'll starve to death. And she said, okay, honey, just give me a, give me a little time. i got to get up. And I said, okay, no problem. I'll go make coffee. So she comes in there, you know, fully dressed, everything, and, and uh, talking to those men. She knew them both, and they said hi to her, and she's just talking back and forth, just, just happy, and, and you, the way she was talking, I could tell she was happy. And one of them looked at her and said, Gene, said, uh, 
if my wife woke me up, if I woke my wife up at 2.30 in the morning to fix breakfast for a couple of men, said World War III would break out. <laughs> said, how come you're so happy? She just looked over at him. Now, I'm sitting right there and said, uh, well, I'm saved and going to heaven. I know the Lord is my Savior, and I'm supposed to do what my husband tells me to do if it's not against the Word of God. And said, I want to please him. And said, I love him. And said, he's going to go to hell if he don't get saved, and I'm going to give him all the heaven I can here upon this earth. One of the fellows looked at me and said, shut your mouth. Don't say a word. <laughs> but you know, I surrendered to preach, and we went to Baptist Bible College. But before I surrendered to preach, there was in the church at Slidell a young lady from Grand Falls, New Brunswick. Now that just happened. And her husband was a, a computer tech, tech and everything. And uh, he was a country, uh, uh, he'd been in the Air Force up at Limestone Air Force Base. Met her, married her, and brought her back to the state. She got saved. They're in the church. And well, I'd surrendered to preach about two weeks. And, and I come home from work, and, and I was a foreman, so I wasn't really dirty or anything. And the wife and her were having coffee because both of them spoke French and everything, and they really, she had friends with them before I got saved. And so I come in, and the wife said, sit down, I'll fix you a cup of coffee. So I sat down, and uh, Jen Daughtery looked over at me and said, Brother Osteen, now that you've surrendered to preach, why don't you go to New Brunswick to preach the gospel? Said, there's a real need there. Said, I was raised in a town there, Grand Falls, they had one little old Baptist church, and it was closed. I never remember seeing it open. And I said, uh, where is it in New Brunswick? You know, the only thing Brunswick I knew was bowling ball. And I, I didn't know anything about Canada. She explained that it was a province like a state here. And I said, well, I'll pray about it. So I started praying about it. And that's where God spoke to me. I never wanted to go anywhere else. Wife didn't want to go anywhere else. We went to Baptist Bible College raised our support, went to Canada, and crossed that border. And that's another story. And then got in there and, and started a <laughs> preaching. I got a radio program. And it covered all of Maine, all of northern Maine, and uh, New Brunswick and most of Nova Scotia, and a lot on Prince Edward Island. And we had, I uh, no telling how many people got saved listening to us on the radio program. I was in the town one day, me and my wife walking around, there's snow on the ground. I never loved to go get groceries without me because it was so bad. And uh, we was walking around, she's getting the groceries. She tells me, and she always told me, she said, now don't you get anything. I've got a budget and you'll mess it up. Okay, okay, okay. And uh, so I'm walking around behind her and this guy kept following us around. Finally, I looked at him and I said, sir, can I help you? And stood there tears running down his cheeks. He said, you're Pastor Osteen, aren't you? And I said, I'm Pastor Osteen. He said, I live about 150 kilometers from here, and I got saved listening to you on the radio, and I've always wanted to meet you. I went over and preached at a church over in Nova Scotia. The pastor's a Bible Baptist church, independent church, and, and he uh, called me and asked, will I come preach a meeting? Start on Sunday before Easter and uh, go to Friday. And then uh, uh, I'd come back home and do my services and everything, you know. 
just one week, and just across the bay, about 46 miles across there on the ferry. So I go over there, and he tells me, he said, you know, I'm a, I've got a big building there. We've only got about 50 people. He said, we probably won't have over 50 people tonight. I said, okay, whatever you got, I preached to him. So we get in there. Now, you see, I'd been announcing this for three months on my radio that I was going to be at Bible Baptist Church at Greenwood, New, uh, Nova Scotia, uh, on such and such a time. That, that, uh, that was on a Monday night. And they started coming in there. There was about 140 people, 30 or 40 people come in there. So I looked over to the pastor, and he said, I don't know where all these people are. I don't know any of them hardly. So when I got up to preach, I said, the pastor doesn't know a lot of y'all. Where y'all come from? Fellow stood up, and it was 225 kilometers to, uh, to Halifax. And he said, uh, I listened to you every Sunday morning at Halifax and started crying. He said, I got saved listening to you. I wanted to see you. I wanted to see you. I said, how many of you people... Uh, listen to me on the radio and you came because of that. And about, uh, out of that, about 130 or so, about, uh, uh, about uh, 80 of them or so raised their hand. On Friday night, which was Good Friday, men wasn't working, they decided to drive around. And it was about five or 600 kilometers. And so they drove around that, that evening and they're going to come get their preacher. And my wife, and when I got to, to preach that night, Ms. Osteen walked through the back door, and I was just kind of shocked. I said, hey, Cajun baby, you're here, huh? She said, yeah. And they had to get up to give her a seat. That auditorium was a seat, about 350, and it was packed. And that week, 27 people got saved. And after the service on that night, I... The pastor said, can you come back uh, next week? And I said, I've got to go home, preach Sunday, but I'll be back Monday. And I said, how many of you people will come uh, back if I come back Monday? And Monday night, we had about 250 people in that building, and it packed out every night. And we had, uh, we had before it was over with, between 50 and 75 people saved. But that preacher didn't know what to do with them. But see, that was our ministry. Built a building. Uh, I was there five years, and I built a building. I, when I resigned, it was running about 200, and uh, I built my house. I got a pastor in there. He stayed until he died, 23 years. His son-in-law is pastoring a church now, and he's been pastoring over 18, about 20-something years, about 20 years. And... Uh, they have uh, never been one day without a pastor. Not one day. Now the church has gone through some struggles at times, but it's still there. We had the 50th anniversary last year. I couldn't get there. But I sent them a message on YouTube. or I don't know exactly how they sent it, but they made it up there, and I sent it to them. And uh, so they... Uh, they were happy about that. I hadn't been able to go back in there for two years now because of COVID. I couldn't get back in there. If you got in, you had to be quarantined for 14 days, and then 
Uh, you couldn't go from one province to the other without being quarantined, so it wasn't profitable. But I had a good time with them. Uh, on the radio, I'm on, on the telephone and everything. Now listen to me, folks. What are you trying to say, Brother Osteen? I'm trying to tell you that God is a sovereign God. And he saves whosoever will may come. And he's here seeking to save the lost. And you ought to be involved in the ministry. I've been involved now for 55 years. I've been executive vice president of a college. I'm, even now I'm a chancellor of a college that's, online, that's not online yet, but as correspondence. And I've been training preachers and training people. And I'm trying to do everything I can to reach the world. And you know what? You're my partner. And I'm your partner. And everything we do is that a telephone call from heaven or something? <laughs> but everything that we do, everything that we do is to train people to reach souls. I got missionaries and People, I trained Steve Osteen. How many of you know my son, Steve Osteen? Raise your hand. Steve's a preacher. I trained him. And I want to tell you something. It's not easy to train preachers. They're the most cantankerous people in the world sometimes. Because <laughs> some of them think they know it all. But if they spend about a year and a half with me, I'll teach them they don't know much. Then I can train them. You see, well, you've got to come to the point. I came to the point before I came to college that I needed some help. And I didn't know everything. And so I absorbed everything. I didn't fight with them or argue with the professors. And every once in a while they'd say something wasn't according to the Word of God. One, uh, in the first year, my wife was going to school then, and this, uh, this uh, professor said, that fasting is not for this dispensation. I looked at her, she looked at me, and she said, that's not right. I said, no, it's not. Be quiet. I said, just don't worry about it. Just get what's right. Spit the rest of it out. People say some things sometimes that they ought not to ever say. And sometimes you just need to overlook it and let God correct you. Now, what are you saying, Brother Osteen? I'm saying if you're not saved here tonight, you're going to hell. The Pope can't save you. The church can't save you. I can't save you. No one else can save you except Jesus. And when you get born again, you must have understood that Jesus is God incarnate. And that on the cross of Calvary, there he shed his blood. And Acts said that God purchased the church with his blood. And Jesus said, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. And they asked who he was at one time, and he said, I am. And that's what he said to, uh, to uh, uh, Moses there in the, in the, out there in the wilderness, out there in that farm. You see, you need to understand and realize that the one that died on the cross of Calvary is God incarnate. And you ought to treat him like God. I remember I was, I was uh, went to a job, and I walked in, and there's a 
getting ready in the shack out there. One guy was cursing, using God's name in vain and Jesus' name in vain. And I just stood there for a second. I said, Oh, glory to God. Somebody knows God. I said, We're going to have a revival at this place. They never did cuss around me again. <laughs> I started to have it. That's before I went off the Bible because I started, I'd read my Bible, sit and read my Bible. Finally, the fellow drifted over a Bible and he said, You're reading your Bible? I said, Yes. He said, uh, uh, can, uh, can you do a Bible study here at lunch? I said, Yeah. Before that was over with, I had 23 men meeting every day with work there. And then I had three men saved on that job. You don't have to be a great person to serve God. You just got to be hooked up to God. You see, it's not what you do. It's what he does through you. And I learned that. When I learned that, I tried to stay out of the way. I remember one time we had a, Steve was preaching in our church down in Westlake. And, uh, I mean, it was a meeting. And Lee and I were sitting on the front row, and the house was packed. Preachers, I was having a meeting and a graduation of our Bible college. And uh, there, Steve was preaching about that great sin, David. And he talked about how, said this, uh, said, uh, this uh, big landowner had this little sharecropper on his, uh, on his property, and he had one little ewe lamb, and he stole it to feed that stranger. And he stopped and paused just for about 45 seconds or so, maybe a minute, looking out across that auditorium. And he said, I wonder what you stole to feed your lust with. And I mean, you can just feel the power of God. And I'm sitting over there, and I looked at Lee, and Lee said, my God, Daddy. And so he got through preaching. And he's quiet. Well, I had John Paul get up to sing, and I, I didn't know what to do. I really didn't know really what to do because I had another a preacher scheduled. And uh, John Paul got up and started singing, and a man in the back, I think he was from New York, he's a preacher, he, he jumped up and screamed. Our church had only one aisle, and he jumped up and screamed, I'm the man, oh my God, I'm the man! Crawl started crawling down, fell down on his uh, face and, and started crawling, trying to get up, and he just kept crawling down at all, screaming. And that thing broke. And we had a two-hour invitation. They crawled around him altar, getting right with God. The preacher was getting right with each other. Now, that's a miracle. And they was getting right with each other. And, you know, I mean, and young men surrendered to preach, and young ladies surrendered to be missionaries. And God all over. You say, what are you saying, Brother Osteen? We hinder the preaching sometimes as we sit in the pew and resist the Word of God. You just need to let that sink in. I remember one time in the church at Slidell, my wife was a very dignified lady. She was a southern lady, and she was a lady at all times. I remember we was playing softball, and she was out playing in the outfield, and she just kind of sauntered over, you know, and caught the ball. And I'm watching her, and one of the girls said, she catches a ball like a lady. 
but that's what she was. Hope was singing, my baby girl. Steve was on the platform. He was one of my associates, and, and he was sitting over there with the, uh, with the song leader, and I'm on the other side with another associate. And uh, she was singing that song, From the Fields of White Under Harvest, and Who Will Go For Me. And the end of it, you could just feel God, man, God. And Ms. Osteen was about to cry. And uh, I was watching it. I was watching out across all the throne. We, we had about 300 people there that night. And finally at the end of it, the song ended with, Who will go for me? And Steve Osteen jumped up and threw up big long arms out and said, I'll go, glory to God, I'll go. And Mama shouted. I mean, she didn't just, I mean, she shouted, buddy. I mean, it, uh, it got so exciting in there. I'm watching everybody and folks are shocked, you know, and everything else. And they couldn't believe the preacher's wife shouted like that. <laughs> but she had a lot to shout about. Her husband, who she prayed for for five years, was a pastor. Her baby girl was singing for Jesus. Her son willing to go wherever he wanted to go. She had a lot to praise God for. Maybe you don't have anything to praise him about. I do. I have 55 years of wonderful ministry. Oh, we had some hard times. We had all kinds of hard times. But I'm going to tell you what. The Bible says to think upon the good things. That's what I do. And if you're here tonight and you're not saved, let me just explain it to you where you can understand it. You're lost and going to hell. And you deserve to go to hell. Because you have rejected Jesus. But he will save you if you will turn to him. And trust him as for your savior. That's the amazing thing. He didn't save me until I was 27 years old. And I had a lot of sin. But I'm going to tell you this. I'm not the man I was before I was saved. And I'm not the man I'm going to be tomorrow because I'm still working on getting closer and walking closer to him all the time. Would you bow your heads, please? And I want you to look up here, and not look up here at me, but bow your heads. And I want you to think about this. How many of you here tonight slip up your hand and say, Preacher, I am not saved. You have shown me that I am not saved. Would you please pray for me? Anybody slip their hand up there? Don't be shy. People go to hell because of the fact that they afraid to make a commitment. How many of you here tonight would love to lift your hand and say, Preacher, I, uh, I'm not doing and I'm not living and I'm not serving God like I should. I'm saved, but I'm not serving him like I should. How many slip your hand up there? Come on, real high, up high. You know what? Tonight, you need to get that right. So we're going to have a few moments, and I'm not going to have any singing, but I'm going to say this. Find your place and get a hold of God, and let God, let God get a hold of you. Father, I pray now as we give this invitation that you will Speak to every heart and that every person will do what you tell them to do.
Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Preacher? There's something, some things. Wait just a few minutes, okay? All right. Here, if you will. Don't forget the message tonight. Don't forget what Jesus has done for you. Young man, when did you get saved? 27. 2017. You haven't been saved that long, have you? You getting ready to go to be a missionary pilot in Africa. Trained himself already. Working at it. You've got to work at what you do. When I got saved, I knew nothing about church work. And I began to train myself. I began to listen to preachers. And I began to read. And uh, I read all kinds of, about all kinds of preachers. Anybody got a question you want to ask me now? I thank you all for the support all these years and the prayers. Uh, don't quit, because I'm not going to quit. Okay? <laughs> all right, anybody got a question? We're going to wait just a few minutes. Yes, sir. Say it again. What bills did you guys have when you were younger, early on when you were married? Bills? Yeah. Well, like everybody else. Food. Food? Oh. We had all kinds of food. We had, my wife was a cook. She cooked that Cajun food. One of my daughter-in-law says that Mama could make a shoe leather taste good. <laughs> and she could. She was a wonderful cook, wonderful lady. She didn't know. Wasn't as proficient, of course, when I married her as she was later on because her mother wouldn't let her in the kitchen hardly. But she always wanted to cook and she always wanted a house and she wanted a home and she wanted a husband. She wanted children. The first, uh, we hadn't been married four weeks. I came in from the work and she's sitting on the couch crying. I said, what's the matter, baby? She said, I'm not, I'm not pregnant. I said, oh, you got to give us time, man. <laughs> Well, our first daughter was born eight days after our first anniversary. And we, we've always enjoyed our children. She's the one's in heaven now. She got killed when she was 42 years old. She would have been this year, uh, she'd have been, what, was 60? She'd have been 63 or 4 year, years old this year. But you know what? She's in heaven. I know where she is. But uh, Louisiana food is different. And uh, if you don't know what it is, uh, you've missed a good part of your life. <laughs> Crawfish, pie, and feely gumbo, and jambalaya. And my wife could make it all. Etouffee's and everything else. I was never, whenever we got married, I started in the kitchen to help her after we had a meal, going to help her clean up and everything, and on our first uh, night in our little apartment, and uh, 
She said, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to help you. She said, no, you're not. Get out of this kitchen. This is my place. I'll take care of this. You don't have to do anything in here. I said, okay. Now, I cooked outside, you know, grilled and all that. But uh, I never cooked inside. She got sick, and we had her last Christmas. John and Paul was coming home, my baby son, for Christmas. And uh, we always had, on Christmas Eve, we had a seafood gumbo. And, man, it was always just wonderful. It was, it was just special for us, you know. And she said, honey, I can't uh, I can't do it. I just don't feel like doing it. I said, that's a lot of work. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll make the gumbo. She said, what? I said, honey, I'm not stupid. And I said, I can read a, I can read a, a recipe, and you can help me. And I said, I'll, I'll make it. So I did all the things and cut up all the stuff that went in there, you know, and sauteed it and everything else. And I did the roux. I bought the roux. I didn't make the roux. That's a, that's a lot of work. And uh, I did all of that, and we cooked that. And she helped me, you know. I mean, I've got a big pot of it, you know, because we always cooked a lot. And so we could freeze it and eat it for, uh, you know, three or four uh, weeks every once in a while we'd eat something. Well... John Paul and him come in that night, and they're sitting there, and he was eating that gumbo. We had a potato salad, a potato salad and gumbo, that's what you have. And uh, he looked over at his mama, he said, I believe this is the best gumbo you ever made. <laughs> and she, she had that twinkle in her eye, and she said, I didn't make that. Daddy made it. He said, I can't I believe it. Daddy's never been in the kitchen. She said, he surprised me, too. <laughs> So I can do it. I've, I've taught, uh, since my wife died, I've taught about five or six women in Canada how to make gumbo. And they love it, you know, they love it. And uh, she cooked a, a lobster etouffee instead of a shrimp etouffee and crawfish etouffee. She cooked lobster one time up there. And them people went crazy. She was a wonderful cook, wonderful lady, wonderful wife. She, uh, she was just a the center of our home. Now let me say something here now. You've got a wonderful pastor's wife here. I can just tell by talking to her that she loves y'all and loves this church and loves her family and loves her husband. And you ought to thank God for that. And you ought to thank God for that and you ought to encourage her all you can because one of the things that in the, in the ministry, the wife gets shunned aside sometimes. The fellow gets all the accolades, but she don't get like she ought to. But I made sure my wife always did because she was the center of our home and she was the shining light in our congregation. And so uh, our last church that we pastored, uh, they took care of her. We had a Cajun lady in there took over the kitchen and wouldn't let her come in. And she was a wonderful cook, that lady was. So she didn't have to, and they'd never let her go in the nursery or said, you need to be in auditorium with your husband in case uh, he needs you. And so there were things that they did to help her in the ministry. Y'all do that, okay? Y'all hear me? Amen. If you don't, I'm going to come back at night and pull your toes. <laughs> <laughs> any other questions? You got any questions about the ministry? Yes, sir. Okay, I didn't think it was that long. It was 10 years. 20. 
20 years. 20 years. Man. I don't think I hardly believe it. See, I've been back in evangelism for 20, uh, 22 years. And I, I got to think about that other day. So, you know, that's, that's what I've been doing. Everything. Anybody else before I turn it back over to the preacher? But I want to say I appreciate the good motel and appreciate the good food and the preachers took me out, took me out and fed me. And uh, I appreciate everything. And don't quit. Just keep on praying for your missionaries and keep on supporting them. I'm going to keep on working. And I work in your field. Thank you.